Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, psychology student, wife, and mama four. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, today I'm here with Katie. Katie is a second time podcast guest because we are talking about COVID again. <laughs> Katie is a trained epidemiologist with a background in infectious diseases, especially HIV, sexually transmitted infections, and hepatitis C. She also focuses on biostatistics and research methodology. Katie has experience working both domestically in the United States as well as internationally. She is a trained academic with an MPH and all but dissertation on a PhD. I'm sure it's hard right now trying to work on a PhD in the middle of COVID. <laughs> uh, I'm actually not even trying. <laughs> I, like, I walked away and yeah, I'm now just completely focused on uh, just the work stuff with Medicaid and all this other stuff. So, uh, is it true that a lot of people have lost their insurance during this? Yeah. Uh, so in the United States, the way that we do insurance is it's often tied to employment. And when, uh, when the economy effectively shut down or large swaths of it shut down, then a lot of people lost their insurance. And so now a lot of people are coming over to Medicaid. And since mm -hmm. I work on Medicaid, things have been quite busy and we've I been bet. experiencing a surge in enrollment and everywhere across the United States is seeing that kind of same trend. Um, and it's not just Medicaid either. It's all forms of public insurance. So you're also seeing with say CHIP, the children's health plan. Right. Um, and you, here it's Husky CT is one of mm -hmm. the lower income ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's probably, yeah, that's probably just what they call Medicaid in the state oh, okay. um, for, yeah. So for Colorado, we call uh, it's, it, I, it's basically every state calls Medicaid something very specific because gotcha. Medicaid is funded at the federal level, but it's administered at the state level. Okay. And so each state kind of does something a little bit different. It's just kind of disgusting that so many people are without health insurance right now in the middle of a pandemic in the United States. I was just saying the other day, so I've been in the ER for Lyme disease. My daughter's been in the ER for Lyme disease. My other daughter's been in the ER for ovarian cysts. Uh, three of us are on uh, like doing therapy and psych and, you know, mental health care. And I'm like, I'm so thankful and privileged to have insurance that's covering this right now. Like if I got sick with COVID, I wouldn't have to worry about a big bill. I wouldn't have to worry about any of those things. And that's a privilege. And it's kind of disgusting to me that so many people don't have that privilege in the United States. Yes, I think this is probably going to change the way that we look at a lot of things, but especially right now, it might make us reconsider tying health insurance to employment because in the midst of a pandemic, you have mass layoffs and then a lot of people who get sick and don't have health insurance. Right. We are not setting people up to be successful. I got laid off from my job and still have not gone back. And I just, um, I'm, in the process of being onboarded for a new job that's virtual, which is great for a pandemic. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I mean, I was on unemployment too. And if my insurance wasn't leaked to my husband's job, then I would be SOL right now. Mm -hmm. So enough about insurance as much as I could spend all day talking about how shitty the United States is in all aspects right now. <laughs> we don't want to talk about that. So what the fuck is going on with COVID, Katie? <laughs> That's a great question. Tell us what has changed since the last time we talked in April. <laughs> so much. So much has changed. So I think first I would just want to shout out that people are seeing science play out in real time right now. And I know that it's frustrating because it feels like it moves really, really slowly. But actually, it's moving lightning fast right now. Uh, again, it doesn't feel like it because this moment really just kind of sucks. And we're just waiting and we're in this holding pattern or what would look like a holding pattern. Uh, and it feels like it's taking forever. But we know so much about it. And, you know, this virus has only been in humanity 
for seven months or so. And so it's, you know, eight months and we know a lot about it now. And so what's changed since April? Well, a lot. <laughs> uh, everybody, everybody in the United States, uh, there are no real lockdown orders anymore. However, no, we are, yeah, but we are now experiencing more cases now than we did during the lockdown orders. Um, and so that's something to consider. I started to, in the Facebook group that I run, encourage people to stay home again. Uh, and in general, we're kind of in this pattern where we should have spent the summer preparing to open up schools. And to do that, we needed to really ramp up contact tracing and testing and to mm -hmm. really start to prioritize our society in different ways. And we made a lot of economic decisions that were very much based on short-term solutions without eyes on what was going to happen in the fall. And some of that, to be fair, I think there was a lot of hope that there'd be some sort of seasonality component to this virus and that maybe it wouldn't be as bad in the summer. But obviously that's not what's happened uh, because it's July and we're seeing a huge surge and more cases now than we have in the past. And, you know, multiple states are surging right now. It's not just one like we had with New York back in March and April. And yeah. So now we really should have spent this time preparing for schools and trying to figure out the best way to set ourselves up for success for for schools. And so again, that would that would look like investing very heavily in contact tracing and testing. We're still having issues with testing. A lot of places are still struggling to uh, keep up with the the number of tests that they should be administering every day. Uh, the FDA did just approve pooled testing, which is good because that helps us. It helps us with the resources on the testing end. So it helps us to uh, spread out the testing a bit further. And Tell people what pooled testing is. They may not yeah, have heard of it. Sure. So pooled testing, the idea on a larger level is that instead of just one for one, so if I go in and get COVID tested, they run my sample and that's that. Mm -hmm. But what, what pool testing is, is you go in and your, your individual sample is grouped in with say four to eight samples, roughly. Uh, it probably, it'll vary depending upon where you're at, but it goes in like the, you know, the little higher level idea is just that it goes in with a group of other samples mm -hmm. and then they test the batch. And so that's one test. And so if uh, it comes back negative, then you know all of those samples, all four, eight, five, whatever it is, are all negative. If it comes back positive, then you end up running the four tests or whatever. But most batches are not going to come back with a positive in it. Now that you know, pooled testing is only as good as kind of our background rate. And right now our background rate is starting to tick up quite a bit. And so there is absolutely a point where pooled testing will no longer make sense and it won't actually stretch our resources. And it will, it would, it could in theory end up being something that could suck up more resources, but we are not there yet. And so for right now, pool testing is a good idea because it stretches those limited testing resources for both funding and the reagent has been a big problem. And so the pooled testing idea now, just take a big group of, or a bunch of tests and together, test them. And then if they're, if they're negative, then everybody in that batch is good to go. And you only expended one test. And if there's positive, then obviously you test everything in that pool. And this but was it'd be how we helpful. could expand our testing because like, in order, like you said, we need contact tracing, we need all of this. And in order to do that, we need to test lots and lots of people. It actually would be the best if like of many countries, we did test, start testing everybody and just make those that are positive quarantine. But we aren't there and we never have been. And now it's kind of like getting out of control. Yeah, we haven't been there 
we could get there, but in order to do that, we never really experienced lockdown orders um, in the United States. It was very, it was variable, right? It depended right. upon where you lived and it was very much by state. And even then, sometimes it was dependent upon the county. And so now you're seeing a lot of mask orders, for example, that are by county instead of at the state level. Right. And so we were kind of this hodgepodge of, you know, roughly 50, actually a little bit more than 50 if you count Puerto Rico, Virgin Islands, Guam, et cetera. But we were this hodgepodge of responses that equated to the state level. But now it's even more because there are several states that have just kind of gone down to the county level as far as like mass mandates and not not mandating it at the state level, but individual counties might try to make a mask mandate work, but the next county over might not. And so you're seeing a lot of differences across the US and it's not helping our overall picture to be so scattered. Uh, we did not present a unified front and that kind of continues today. Right. I feel like it's like having a peeing and non-peeing section in a pool. Like, <laughs> if you're just saying my county has a mask mandate, what's to stop people from going to the next county over and bringing it back to your county? You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. um, even state by state, I think is kind of ridiculous, but it's kind of working. Connecticut's doing quite well, and we've had a ma mask mandate since April 10th. I mean, in the beginning, we were not doing well. We definitely were not doing well, but we are doing much better now. Um, and one of my questions was, like, what's up with masks? Are they working? What, how are they working? People have so many, <laughs> so many uh, theories about how they're going to have carbon dioxide poisoning <laughs> and how like it's not working. So how do they work? What's up with them? Can we die by wearing them? <laughs> What's up with them? I'm glad you asked me that question. In general, just wear a mask. Uh, I mean, a high level, if you think about it, Doctors and nurses spend all day in a mask and none of them are healing over. They're all fine. It's uncomfortable. It's a nuisance. It sucks. Nobody wants to do it. But also, masks are quite effective. And of course, I'm going to harken back to my background. So in HIV, there's a form of fatigue that we refer to as safe sex fatigue, where people just don't want to use condoms anymore. And reliably, when you see people start to experience safe sex fatigue, you also then start to see the corresponding spike in HIV infections. And the reason is because condoms work. They work to prevent the spread of HIV. Masks are something similar. They're uncomfortable. They suck. They're not sexy. <laughs> oh, well, I have to beg to differ. I have some really cute masks, okay? <laughs> okay, okay. Yes, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. I'm sure that there are some people that might think that the masks are really sexy, so it's possible. <laughs> but in general, they are just highly inconvenient, and they're just kind of a pain in the ass, but they work, and they prevent the spread of COVID. And if we could get everybody on board with just wearing a mask, especially when you're indoors, then we could cut the transmission down by quite a bit. And, you know, it's what we know about the, the virus now is that it is primarily transferred through via respiratory droplets. So, you know, me talking, me coughing, me sneezing, whatever, right. singing, yelling, all of those things. And so if you just cover up that part of your face, and contain it, then you're much less likely to spread the infection to somebody else. And I mean, that's not to downplay the fact that like, yeah, you can still, you could absolutely still get it off of a surface, for example, but we do know that the primary mode of transmission is just those droplets. And so as soon as you cover up the source of those droplets, aka your nose and your mouth, then we cut the transmission down by so much. It's a lot. And it's the primary way that we can help to contain the spread, especially if people are still going to be out walking around and engaging in life instead of quarantining. And yeah. quarantining also sucks. But if the, if the options are to quarantine completely and not see anybody or wear a mask and take some precautions, 
and limit your social interactions, I think one of those sounds a hell of a lot better than the other. Because I don't know about you, but quarantining sucks. You don't see anybody. It's so hard on my mental health. It's so hard on your mental health. It's really hard on everybody. We're all very social creatures. And so this is the way that we can kind of adopt a little bit of a different normal during this time until we can figure out a prevention, a cure, an effective treatment, any of those three things. Because right now, the only prevention that we have really is that social distancing and masks work. And until we have some sort of pharmaceutical intervention, this is it. And so those are really the choices. And I don't think that people fully appreciate that the choices are not to mask or not to mask. It's actually to mask or to quarantine. Those are your actual two choices. And both of those choices may suck, but one of them is a lot less than the other. Uh, I agree. And, you know, you talked about uh, getting it off of surfaces, but if we also do the other things we're supposed to, like wash or sanitize our hands, Hand that means yes. we're not going to get stuff off of our surfaces either. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the Trump administration has been saying that more testing is causing more cases. How accurate is that assessment? Uh, testing does not cause cases. Testing gives us a very good idea about how far the virus has spread and our background rates. And it allows us to understand just how much virus is is actually circulating within our populations. And in order for us to make good data-driven science-based decisions, we really need to have an accurate picture of how much virus is is actually circulating. So all of the public health professionals that you will talk to will always advocate for more testing. More testing is kind of our default line of like, well, do you, you know, if if the question is like, do you think we need more or less? We always need more. Like we always need more testing. More testing is always very, very good (laughs) right? because it gives us, it empowers us to make better choices and to make better plans for, you know, from those choices. So yes, more testing is always in my book. And not only that, but the argument about hospitalization rates and death rates not going up is now debunked and it's not true. Um, A couple weeks ago, it seems steady, but we got to understand you don't get COVID on day one and die, or you don't get COVID on day one and end up in the hospital necessarily. So these rates kind of lag behind the case rates. Am I correct in that? Yes. Yeah. So there's there's kind of... um there's a way that we can kind of uh, order the indicators that we look at to assess how we're doing with our numbers. And so, for example, the very first number that we will look at to help us understand how much virus is circulating at this moment is the positivity rate. And that positivity rate is just the number of tests that come back positive out of the total number of tests that you administered. And so when that starts to tick up, that is our first indication that we're starting to see a spike and we might need to react to it. Hospitalizations are actually one of the last numbers that we look at because they're so lagged. They're really, really important, right? So that if we see, but it's, I kind of liken it to when, when you, when you're in a car and you want to, you want to change lanes, but you're trying to keep enough distance between you and the car in front of you, hospitalizations are when you have to slam on the brakes versus looking at that case, uh, the positivity number when you just have to tap on the brakes and not worried that you're about to crash. If those hospitalizations are ticking up and they're high, that means that we just have to slam on the brakes and hope to God that we aren't going to crash the car in front of us. And so, yeah, it is really important to look at those hospitalization rates, uh, but we are using these other numbers as earlier indicators because they're so lagged. They're about two weeks behind. And if you think Mm -hmm. about it, when you're exposed to COVID, it takes you a while to develop symptoms. You, you know, it can take up to 14 days. And then at that point, when you start to develop symptoms, it takes about two weeks for you to be hospitalized. So at that point, we're already talking about data that could be up to four weeks old. 
which is why we have to start looking at some of those other indicators to help us piece together a more realistic picture of what's going on in this moment or as close to this moment in real time as we can. Which now makes sense why my governor has started sharing the percentage of like um, positives. Like he will give you the number of tests that they did, the number of positives that came back, and then the percentage of that, which for Connecticut has been under 1% for a long time. Um, And he also gives us our hospitalization rate, which has been for the entire state has been under 100 people right now. I think it's at 63 um and then he'll give us our death count which today was zero so that's great <laughs> yeah that's really good yeah us for not killing anybody this this day um so dr fauci um people are going at dr fauci because they say that he has lied to us i'm being sarcastic here that he has <laughs> lied to us in case anybody can't um tell Um, and that he's changed his narrative. Can you explain to us why Dr. Fauci has had to change his narrative? Like, tell us a little bit about science and how this stuff works, because I think some people slept through their science class. Sure. (laughs) Science. So in order order for, again, well, I guess I will harken back to what I said at the very beginning of this, which is you're seeing science play out in real time. And most people are not used to monitoring what a very specific scientific field is doing. And changes happen in science all the time. And one of the marks of being a good scientist is changing your views to fit with what data have, have told you and what we have learned. And so at the beginning of this, the narrative was that the public doesn't actually need to wear masks right now. Part of that was being driven by the fact that we had a PPE shortage and we were very concerned about our healthcare workers, which by the way is still going on. The PPE shortage is still a concern in a lot of places. But now, now that we understand a lot more about how the virus is actually transmitted and what is mostly driving the pandemic, then now that we understand that it, it's effective to throw a piece of fabric over your face and it can cut down transmission rates, then, okay, then we're going to change, we're going to change what the message is. And because that's where the science led us and we didn't know at first. And, and when you don't know something, then you're kind of going off of your best assumptions based off of, you know, other viruses that seem kind of similar or Mm -hmm. other scenarios that seem kind of similar. But now that we've had more time to study it and to really understand what's driving the transmission, then we change our opinion because as a man of science, as Dr. Fauci is, He's, he's my gonna hero. Change. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's, he's been so honest from like the beginning. Like he's always, I feel like he's always kept us up to date on the what he knew, right? Like as yes. a public health expert, what he knew. Yes, that's just my opinion. <laughs> I and I, I mean, I agree with you. I think I think the problem is that people really don't appreciate that scientists don't know everything and. Mm-hmm. Fauci in particular has been very good about trying to communicate, no, I don't know everything, but here's what I do know. Right. And here, here is, you know, what my training says, and here is what other, what other situations have played out like that were kind of similar. And so, sure, you, don't, you can't say for certain what, you know, something might be, but you can make a more educated guess on something. and then also admit like if it comes out that later on it didn't turn out to be right then it's like well this is what we knew we did the best with what we had at the time and now we know better and since we know better now then we're going to adapt to that new knowledge and try to make better choices because of it and right. so it's really adapting your mindset to new information that we you know that we have worked hard to achieve i mean Again, it seems like things are moving really slow, but things are moving really fast. And so it's, it's one of those like, well, we have to constantly be adapting to new information. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing that I will say is 
seeing science play out in real time is also very messy because there's always a back and forth in the academic community whenever new studies come out about methodologies and about limitations and there are always questions about how did you arrive at your conclusions because there are always assumptions made and there are always basically there's just this very messy process that we go through where we try to poke holes in research in order right. to better in order to better determine information and to make sure that the information that we glean from any particular field is quality and that it stands up to scrutiny and that it's rigorous and that's a messy process and I think that oftentimes gets interpreted as though scientists don't know what they're doing. And that's not necessarily the case. It's just, <laughs> this is potentially the first time in history where scientists and this whole process is so transparent to the public and the public is so laser focused on it because so many people are at home or they're un and they're unemployed. And all of a sudden they're kind of being plunged into this world that they really weren't aware of or acquainted with before. And so being plunged into this world that you really don't know anything about can seem really confusing. Mm -hmm. And so again, I think it's being interpreted as though, you know, we don't know what we're talking about. And really this is just kind of another day at the office. This is how it always looks and this is how it always works. It's just never been in the spotlight the way that it is right now. Right. And people have never never knew they needed the information as bad as they do right now. Right. We, yeah. we want so badly to have like a cure, a vaccine, something mm -hmm. going on. We want somebody to tell us like, Hey, if we do this, it's going to disappear. If you do that, you're, you know, you're not going to get it. I mean, yeah, wear a fucking mask, but I mean, <laughs> we could, I think people forget like your best friend from high school that barely graduated high school does not know more than Dr. Fauci who has over 40 years experience and has actually given um, advice to six presidents. Um, yes. I'm pretty sure this man might know what he's talking about, but like you said, people forget about the scientific method. You guys make a hypothesis on the information that you have, you test it, you see if it's viable. If it's not, you start all over again. And as new data comes, there's new hypothesis or hypotheses. Um, and you test the new ones and you see if they are, but like you're getting new information every day, every week, every month. Like it's always changing. The more we know and the longer the virus is around, the more that we're discovering. And, and to, let's be honest, like we really will not know the ramifications of COVID until like 20 plus years down the road where people might actually kind of like the chicken pox where you could develop shingles later on. Like we might develop things from COVID later on that we did not know were side effects of getting COVID. Yeah, I, yes, we will be studying the ramifications of this for years to come, as you said. I mean, it will be its own branch of academic inquiry, <laughs> as we're already seeing. Uh, I mean, it. yes, that's exactly what's going to happen. And it's going to take time. And I think the other thing that people need to understand is it seems like scientists, you know, fight with each other a lot, but actually it's more of a, we're all on the same team and we're working towards the same goal, which is to try to deliver the best quality information that we can. And in order to do that, you know, we have to submit to a lot of scrutiny in our work. And that's something that we're used to coming from peers and coming from other people that have been trained in, you know, the same the same fields. Um, but what we're not used to is this level of public scrutiny that is, that I guess oftentimes is not necessarily made in good faith. There's right. a lot of attacks of, you know, again, scientists just don't know what they're talking about, or there are a lot of assumptions that we're working in bad faith or that we've got ulterior motives and like what I can tell you about the people that have gone into public health and have gone into virology and have gone into any number of these fields that are now re like incredibly relevant did not go into these fields because we wanted to be rich and famous. In fact, most of us went into these fields because we wanted to remain very anonymous and we're very introverted. And so all <laughs> of a sudden having the spotlight shined on us is 
really overwhelming. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, I'm used to my work being scrutinized by my colleagues and getting a whole lot of feedback because there's a peer review process that's incredibly necessary. Like I right. said, we're all on the same team and working towards the same goals. And that can be painful, but there's this added element of now because everybody's kind of home and playing armchair science that, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden there are a lot of conspiracy theories and whatnot floating around about how this all usually works. And I like, I'm learning a lot about my job that I didn't know uh, coming from people that probably didn't know what I did until, <laughs> until right. March. But uh, I, yeah, I, I now know how nefarious a lot of people's intentions really are, at least according to the internet. So <laughs> I'm glad that I learned that. Stay off Twitter. Um, is, <laughs> is this the second wave? Because people are calling this the second wave right now. And I think we need to uh, give clarity around this. Sure. There's a difference between kind of how the waves are referred to in the vernacular versus kind of the academic way. So this, you know, the, the general public is referring to it as a second wave because, hey, look at us. Like we, we bent the curve and things looked way better and we had a lot fewer cases. And now all of a sudden our case number has shot back up. However, in the actual event of the pandemic itself, we are still in the first wave. Uh, and we will probably be in this first wave for a while. Uh, we are still kind of in that initial steep climb when you get on that roller coaster up that first hill. We're still, we're still climbing. And if anything, you know, sometimes you get that fake out where you go down just five feet or so, and then you, you start climbing back up again. That, like, maybe I'll give you that. <laughs> maybe we hit the fake out, but uh, we are still in the first wave. Like we were talking about before we started recording, um, states that are seeing surges never came down off that first wave. They might have dipped, like you said, for like five seconds dipped, but then they shot back up where you see like a few, like a handful maybe of states like Connecticut that have almost pretty much, I shouldn't say they completely flattened their curve, but they've definitely, there's a definitely like a, a wave and they come back down. Um, and then maybe if we see those people starting to spike again, then we might wanna be concerned about a second wave. Um, but speaking of second waves, people are saying it's gonna come in the fall. What should we be concerned about come the fall? I mean, it's interesting, you know, we're, <laughs> we should absolutely be concerned about the fall, but we also have to be concerned about the right now and we have to be planning for the fall. And usually what fall means is the start of school. It means people uh, spending more time inside as, as the weather starts to get colder. And spending more time inside usually also means more opportunities for diseases to circulate. Uh, kind of not, not necessarily unchecked, but you know, it's a lot easier for stuff to circulate when you're spending a lot more time inside, especially uh, during school years. And right now, what we really need to be focusing on is what's going to happen with schools. Yes, what uh, is? Let's talk about yeah. that. What, yeah. what, what do you think about kids going back to school right now? <laughs> I think right now, Vermont is sitting pretty, pretty well. Um, and they're, they're, I think that they're pretty well placed in order to actually try to execute on in-person school. And they're basically the only state that's in any sort of place for that to happen. Uh, like that's it. I think everybody else really needs to hone in on contact tracing and testing. And we need to start really reorganizing our priorities um, and recognizing what is actually priority number one, priority number two, and you know, so on and so forth down the line. And I think what this virus has done for us is really highlighted kind of across the board, the ways in which society, our society has organized itself and what we claim to value versus what we actually value and how those things are different. You know, the discrepancies between the official party line and then where things actually are. And so 
schools, for example, need to be prioritized. And I think a lot of decisions that were made at the beginning of this, you know, when people started to come out of their safer at home or their stay at home orders and their lockdown orders were made with kind of short-term eyes and Mm -hmm. some of that can't necessarily be blamed because we didn't you know we're always learning things right but for right now like with everything that we do know we can't be making decisions with short-term eyes we have to really be focusing in on the things that make our society function and you know schools are one of those things they're vital they serve such an important function for basically everybody in a family. Mm-hmm. It's not just it's not just kids. It's also parents, and you know they they just they they serve so many purposes, and they allow our societies to function and go around in a lot of ways. And until we actually start acting like that, that is the top priority, then we're going to continue to be in this really crappy space where people are faced with this decision that is, you know, it's a rock hard place. Um, It's really really hard because I mean, with parents, you know, some parents are still employed, which is great. But then if you've got kids that are online learning, it's damn near impossible to do homeschooling with kids while you're also supposed to be working and also at some point like feeding yourself and sleeping. Like it's, it's damn near impossible. But then also, you know, if we open up schools uh, in person and we don't have things at least sort of contained, we're talking about, you know, like what's happening right now with this surge is going to look like child's play. And that's Mm -hmm. not a scenario I really want to envision. It's a terrifying scenario. I mean, you know, you live in Connecticut, you're a lot closer to New York city. And I I know, yeah, I know. Yeah. I, and like, I know that the images of the refrigerated trucks that they had to bring in for their morgues, Right, like that haunt me, and it should but haunt there, everybody. It's happening in Florida too. I have a friend yes. who works at a hospital in Florida, and she said, "Guess what's here now? Refrigerated yeah. trucks. How about y'all wear a fucking mask?" Yeah, and I mean that's haunting to me. And I mean, if we open up schools and we don't have any sort of control over this pandemic, I mean, it will be like that across the entire nation, and we will lose so many more people. And, you know, there is such a thing as a preventable death in this whole mess. And if we just kind of open up schools just kind of because those preventable deaths are going to shoot way up. And honestly, that's the thing that makes me lose sleep at night. And I Mm -hmm. think that it should make other people lose sleep at night as well. Um, I mean, we are not faced with a lot of good options right now. I will say that. And I don't, I don't want to be a doomsdayer, but like, because we aren't faced with a lot of good options right now, we need to be realistic about the ones that we have. And in order to effectively keep any sector of society going, we really need to double down on, okay, everybody has to wear a mask, contact tracing, testing, and people need to start going about their days a little bit differently. And they kind of need to shift the way that they're thinking about their interactions with people and shift the way that, you know, they value, I guess just shift their values in general. Right. Because <laughs> right now we need to be thinking about not only ourselves, but everybody around us, including the people you don't know, but that you, mm-hmm. you know, potentially interact with at the grocery store or your neighbor or whoever. Like we need to be thinking about everybody being in the same boat right now. And we need to be valuing everybody in the same way as you would your own family. Yeah. And I, it's very unfortunate because you hear a lot of stories about people only after it's too late and they have caught the virus kind of repenting and being like, well, I didn't take it seriously until it was too late. And mm-hmm. there are way too many stories like that. There are right. way too many. No, I agree. Uh, I feel like the problem is in America, we're an individualistic 
society versus a collectivist society. If it doesn't directly impact us, what does it matter? And there's so many false narratives going around like, if you're young, you're not gonna die. Kids aren't gonna die. Kids are not gonna get it. The fact that people are saying kids won't get it at all, I'm like, you're, have you never been in a school? Like germs fucking go around real fast in schools. But it's just kind of crazy. We, I actually just had an issue, not directly, but somebody I care about very deeply um, had an issue. So they have stepchildren, right? And um, they share custody of the stepchildren with their mother. The mother brought her children around a symptomatic individual knowing this person's symptomatic like they're like oh he's just had he probably just has allergies and the man he's never had allergies in his fucking life but anyways then without telling the other family brought the child back to their family currently they are waiting on so the symptomatic individual tested positive currently they're waiting on the children and the mom to test before the second family can test because if they don't test positive then they're like we're not testing you guys it is horrifying that this woman with no thought, like inconsiderate negligence, took her children around a symptomatic individual with no thought of the repercussions, not only to her children, but the families that of the children, like the other families, like the co-parents. Um, and the fact that one family has like two kids that are higher risk, not high we talked about this last episode where there's like levels of risk. These children yeah. aren't what you would consider like high risk, but they're higher risk. Like one has asthma and one has like medical issues and higher risk. And her negligence was like, hopefully it doesn't play out in a bad way, but you just don't know. Like you just don't know. Yes. Uh, <laughs> there, <laughs> it's been very frustrating because to your point, yes, there's, there's a lot of I think, denial going around and denial is the kindest word that I can use for it. I can, I call them inconsiderate COVID twat waffles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is a lot of that going around. The problem I think intersect is when the people that are basically either denialists entirely or kind of living in denial intersect with people that are in really, really unfortunate circumstances. I mean, everybody's in unfortunate circumstances right now, but there is such a thing as, you know, if you are being forced to make the, the choice between, well, my employer isn't going to cover me if I am sick and I don't have any money and I have to go into work even though I'm sick, that's a set of circumstances that it's very hard for me to blame somebody for whatever choice it is that they do make. Right. Choices are, choices are very hard. And I do, I do differentiate between, you know, those kind of two sections of people. Um, I feel like there are some people that are, you know, actively choosing the in denial buffs, and then there are others that by set of circumstances, it's just a really crappy situation. Um, but with all of that being said, that intersection is really unfortunate. I think the other thing that's really unfortunate is that there's a lot of rhetoric on the internet right now mm -hmm. that <laughs> is exacerbating an already really crappy situation. And I think a lot of, I don't know, I, part of me wants the internet just to be shut off for the duration of this, <laughs> which, which is terrible because, you know, it's also empowering people to reach out and to be connected to each other when, you know, they can't for right. any number of reasons right now. And so it's, it's both great, but it's also enabling a lot of nonsense to be propagated and spread around so easily. Right. I mean, great aunt Mildred's over here sharing all kinds of memes that it's just like some, oh, you know, somebody spent 30 seconds creating and that's completely false and, and, and inaccurate and also inconsiderate, but like it feels true. So yeah, just like smash that share button. Let's do it. There's a lot of that going around and it reinforces already problematic views and, uh, <laughs> I guess thought processes. 
and it's really not making this any easier on anybody. I, I did an interview at the very beginning of when the epidemic started in the United States for our local CBS affiliate here in Denver. And the reporter asked me at the very end of the interview, like, is there anything else that you would want people to know right now? And what I told her, but didn't make it into the article or the uh, TV segment was like, everybody stay off the internet. It's about to get really bad. <laughs> and like, it's really bad. It is. <laughs> it's really bad. It's really bad. I feel like, uh, and I'm not, you know, working my day job and I'm dedicated to doing interviews or writing or something. A lot of my time is just spent on like debunking conspiracy theories and pseudoscience and all kinds of nonsense that's being pulled out there right now. And that's giving people like terrible ideas and, I understand that, you know, there are certain ideas that have kind of been put forth that are oddly comforting to people because it feels like a very out of control situation. Um, and it feels very out of control for me. And like, I spent my entire professional career literally training for this moment and it feels very overwhelming. So like, I understand, you know, how this feels, but also, man, there's just a lot of crap on the internet. <laughs> and It's terrible. Right. Well, and people like will twist the narrative, right? I see this a lot where people are like, less than 1% of people die of COVID. I'm like, do you know how many people live in the United States and how many people could possibly die, even if it's like less than 1% of people that die? And let's not forget like all of the other issues, long-term issues that they're discovering people will have from COVID. Like irreparable lung damage. Like some guy, I read his story. He said he's on heart medication for the rest of his life because COVID fucked up his heart. Like we're talking about these things, but it, I feel like they twist these, this data into trying to make it look like it's not that bad. When I'm like, it just hasn't impacted you yet. Like you're gambling with people's lives. Would you really want to be like, okay, let me see my whole entire life savings my house, my car, everything is on this 1%. Like I, I got this 1% chance of losing it all. Am I going to, I fuck no, I'm not about to take that. Like I'm not about to gamble my life or people nearest me. I couldn't live with myself if I didn't do the things possible. And then I got somebody sick, they got hospitalized or died. Like I just couldn't live with myself. Or if I did that myself, like I was so negligent that that happened but on the other aspects we can't stay cooped up in our houses forever so i would love for you to share with us what's your best advice for us like to be able to do some things <laughs> but not how can we keep our risk low so like right. my mental health my husband's job takes takes him away a lot and for my mental health i need to be around other adults um, because I have tiny humans in my house that drive me absolutely batshit crazy. So I know that for me, I can't stay cooped in my house forever, but that also means like, that's not a good idea for me to go and like party with a bunch of people. So how can we keep with everything reopening and the need for socialization? How can we do this safely? Sure. One thing I will point out is to your point about data stuff um, that I promise we'll segue into. Oh, no problem. <laughs> we'll Go for it. Whatever you want to talk about. Uh, one thing I will say about data is uh, a lot of people are citing a lot of different numbers right now, and we don't, we don't have a good case fatality rate yet, and we won't until we're through this pandemic because we don't even know how much of it is circulating right now. Like I said, you know, we... We don't have a very good idea of it. And we do know that there are a lot of people that are asymptomatic, which is both good and bad, right? Like if there are a lot of people that are asymptomatic, that means that great, they're not gonna die from it. However, <laughs> that also means that they spread it. And so mm -hmm. we don't we don't know, we don't have a good case fatality number yet. We've got some estimates, but that's what they are is estimates. And the other thing too is like we are undercounting deaths. You'll probably hear all kinds of stuff about how uh, I don't know, places are trying to inflate their mortality numbers. 
it's all like at the end of the day, it's all nonsense because we are absolutely undercounting deaths. We know that we're undercounting deaths. That happens every time that there is a pandemic because not everybody is tested and a lot of people die without being tested and then they're not included in the official counts. And so we know that it's an undercount. We just don't know by how much yet. And, you know, there's a reason why you see flu numbers at the end of every season reported as a range. Because again, a lot of people die without having tested for influenza. And so you see these large ranges. And usually what that means is, you know, on the conservative end, it's usually like, okay, this is the number of people that were actually confirmed to have, you know, an influenza, an influenza infection or an active infection with COVID. And that's on the very, very conservative end. And then you have on the like high end, which is like, okay, we can estimate that the number of people who would have gotten an infection by what we thought the R naught was. And, you know, you can, they can make estimates, but that's why you see those ranges. And so you won't see a static, number like you you will see a static number but like we know that that number is not correct so like a range would actually be more accurate which sounds funny to say but so don't like let people (laughs) get hung up on any particular number especially because like right now we just don't have a solid number to hang our hat on Um, and then to your question about you know how do people keep their risk a little bit lower without going completely batshit (laughs) I like <laughs> that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean a lot of people are there, right? I, like I'm there. Um, the way that you can keep your risk lower right now, and this will, this absolutely hinges on season, on like the seasons. But like it's summer, go outside, and if you're gonna socialize with people, make sure it's outside and like hang out in somebody's backyard. Uh, try to keep your distance from them, like bring your own food or something like everybody can order takeout and you can, you can share a meal with people without like actually physically sharing that meal with them. And you can, you can still see people and socialize in that way. Uh, So like do more activities outside and go to fewer bars. And I know that bars are going to hate me for saying that, but like, (laughs) you know, unless you can hang out outside and be safer about it which like in a bar it's usually a very crowded environment and that's and it's usually inside and those two things are the exact opposite of what we need right now (laughs) and everybody takes takes their masks off to eat and drink right um would you say that outdoor dining at a restaurant is safe or that because there's so many people that's probably still not a good idea the word safe is doing a lot of work there. <laughs> lower uh, risk. Right. Lower risk. <laughs> right. uh, is, is lower risk, but um, it is lower risk than like being inside. But, it, <laughs> you know, it depends on, you know, how far away the tables are from each other and all of that kind of stuff. Personally, I haven't done it. I've stuck Me to either. just takeout. Um, but, you know, that's, that's an individual call. Um, I will say though, like if you can afford it, take out and tip your servers, even yes. though they may not be, even though they may not be actually waiting on you, tip them. It doesn't matter. <laughs> tip them anyway. Um, so yeah, I mean, there there are things that you can do right now that are lower risk that will hopefully help to keep your sanity. So just like hang out more outside uh, and do more outdoor activities with people. Go for a hike. Uh, you know, go for a walk or on a block or whatever, just like do more outdoor activities and less standing around in very crowded indoor spaces. Yes. And I think, and like you said, everybody's got to, to weigh their risks. But what I do want to say is you want to be, if you're going to be around people, you need to be all on par about your risks. Like it doesn't help if I'm going to a party, like not a party, that sounds like there's a lot of people, but I'm going to somebody's house for like a gathering and I'm doing all the things, right? I'm like you, I'm doing takeout, I barely leave my house. I do grocery, now my grocery store is doing grocery, grocery pickup again, so I'm doing grocery pickup. I, mm-hmm. I barely do a fucking thing outside my house. So I'm doing all the things and I, and I don't associate with very many people, but if I go someplace, even if it's outdoors and somebody else 
is not doing all the things, we happen to like get too close to each other, that could potentially put me at risk. So I think one thing we have to be very aware of is not only what are we doing, but what are the people we are around doing? Like, yes, that really affects us. What are your thoughts on pods? Have you heard of pods? Yes. What are your thoughts on pods? Sure. So pods, I think in general, pods can be very useful during this time. I'm going to caveat the shit out of this by saying like, (laughs) everybody needs to be very communicative uh, in the pod and everybody needs to be on the same page and the pod should be closed, right? So everybody in that pod and like your pod should not be 50 people. Your pod should be, right? (laughs) It should be in the single digits. Um, And ideally the pod should be everybody knows each other and everybody has agreed to only associate with each other and if there is and to communicate if there has been some sort of uh, either breach or some sort of um, risk that has been associated with you know an outing or a behavior thing that they did so an exposure uh, and just communicate those things and like in order for a pod to be actually effective and successful everybody needs to be communicating and on the same page Cause it can break down very quickly. You know, if there's just even one person that's like, well, but like, it's not that big of a deal. I just went to a barbecue that had 30 people, but it was fine. Right. And you know, we like, we were only inside for three hours or something like everybody needs to be <laughs> like, everybody needs to be communicating. And like, I, again, I'm going to throw it back to, you know, the first time that we, that we spoke, I, uh, I likened this to, imagine that you are having sex with every single person that you interact with during the day and kind of, and so like you are having sex with everybody that they had sex with kind of thing be on the same page and be communicative about it so that everybody is consenting to everything that is happening within that pod sphere yeah and within the spheres in influence basically um Everybody just needs to be very good about communicating those things and, and everybody needs to consent and be on the same page about what is happening. And then like, I think, I think that it can be very good and very, oh God, you know, a lifesaver for a lot of people, especially, right. you know, especially for people that have small children right now. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. And so, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things of like, yes, I do think that that's very, it's, it's very important but it's difficult to do well is the thing that I will say. So like, yes, you can do it, but it is hard to do well. So like, you'd have to be very dedicated to it. And, every, and again, everybody needs to show the same level of dedication to it. So I think like pods can be really good. Just like the caveat is just, well, but is it actually being executed on? So is it just like, it's, it's this very slippery slope into, well, I just have a pod into well, but like now I've seen everybody that I know. (laughs) Right, right. I've kept my social interactions to very, very small like group of people. Um, But it does, it does give me like anxiety because I'm like, what if they're not doing the things, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're saying they're doing the things, but if they're not doing the things and then they give me COVID and then I give this person COVID. Like, you know what I mean? It's like this, this compound effect. And I think people forget it is like the story I told earlier about the inconsiderate twat waffle. She, it was just her and her two kids, right? That got exposed to the symptomatic individual. But then those two kids went to their individual, because they're from different parents, went to their individual parents' house. So they may have infected those people. And then those people, if they came in contact with anybody else, one works at a restaurant, may have infected more people. So like, you know, it continues to grow if we are not being careful and keeping yes. it small and in, in a low risk. And, you know, like I said earlier, people have to weigh their risk. And for some people, they're willing to take more risks than others. But I love that you said consent, because I've been saying from the beginning, there needs to be informed consent. Your Actions should not be able to negatively impact my health and safety. You know, like that's why masks are so important. You may have been around somebody who is symptomatic for COVID and you just don't know you have it. That should not be able to impact my life because I'm doing the freaking things. Wear your mask so I don't get it. Like, and I'll wear my mask if I happen to have it, even though I've been keeping my risk relatively low. I'm not giving it to you either. And I'm not giving it to your grandma that you might go visit not knowing 
that you now have it. Do you know what I mean? Like, cause it, it impacts other people. And I feel like with this pandemic, there needs to be informed consent. People need to be able to make the decisions. If they decide to go and eat inside at a restaurant, that's their choice, right? Like they're making that choice, but they should also be very transparent with the people they're around that they made that choice. Yes. Yes, they should be very transparent. And I mean, in order, in order to have these conversations and have them be productive and have everybody be as open and honest as possible, it's going to be difficult, but you know, people should not be shaming other people, especially if like they're kind of, you know, interviewing them to be in their pod, like don't shame people, just kind of make it a casual conversation of like, well, but like, you know, I'm not comfortable with that thing. So like, if you are okay, but like, I'm not comfortable with it. So maybe this won't work out, but like, cool. You know, like I let's, let's talk, let's talk, you know, on the phone or whatever, but like, maybe this isn't going to work out for us as far as, you know, your risk level is a little bit more than I'm comfortable with. And I still think you're a great person and everything, but like for right now, I'm just not comfortable with it. So, you know, let's uh, figure something else out kind of thing. And, and I think that there's been a lot of, there has been a lot of public shaming of people. Um, and I understand it because I have those impulses as well. <laughs> right. Um, I think right now, though, the biggest thing that everybody needs is a huge dose of empathy and compassion for everybody. And I think that that's been missing from a lot of the conversations that have been happening, especially on the internet, because like (laughs) both of those things are in very short supply when you are dealing with keyboard crusaders. Uh, And it's very easy to kind of dehumanize the person on the other end of the interaction on the internet. But in general, I think right now we as a country would benefit an awful lot from everybody being kinder to each other, a bit more understanding, a lot more compassionate, and just a lot more trying to understand where another person is coming from, or maybe even just like where they could be coming from, and giving people, being as charitable as possible and not necessarily like, yeah, give away your money, especially to food banks right now, but like, <laughs> but like being as charitable as possible when you are interacting with somebody, right. And not, and not assuming that they are trying to act in bad faith until they demonstrate that they are. That's what I try um, to do. I yeah, make the assumption I, that they just don't have enough information to make a better decision and that could be where they're coming from. And they're not really trying to be hateful or hurtful until they demonstrate to me otherwise, which usually is the case. <laughs> yeah, it's, I think right now, a big part of what's happening is just everybody's really, really sick and tired of this pandemic. And there's a lot of wishful thinking of like, well, if I just believe that it's over, it's over and it's not a big deal. Um, there's a lot of denial, but again, there's also just a lot of cruelty that's going around and everybody could benefit from a big old dose of just kindness to each other right now. So before I let you go, correct me if I'm wrong, the best, the best thing that we can do right now is stick to small outdoor events, socially distanced with masks. Now, if we do small outdoor events, socially distanced, but have no mask, our risk is still small. Yes. It's, yes, it's smaller. Smaller. And then when we start reducing all of those things, so if we aren't socially distanced, it gets a little bigger. If it's indoor versus outdoor, bigger. Larger versus smaller, bigger. So those are, I wanted to clarify, so if people are trying to make a decision. Yeah about what they're going to do. Like, for example, my sister is supposed to come down and visit me from New York, upstate New York, way up there. What we are planning on doing is two weeks before she comes, I'm not doing anything extra. She's not doing anything extra. So we both can like minimize the fact that we'll transmit it to each other. Sure. Um, so we can still see each other. Right. And so yeah. we don't have to stay away from each other. Um, it's those kind of things that you just kind of weigh your options. Like, you know, um, I had to bring my oldest daughter up to New York to her father. And what I did is I stopped at places, New York requires masks. 
I stopped at places I knew that I'd be able to use the restroom and not be around a lot of people, right? Mm -hmm. Like I wouldn't be in crowds. Everybody's wearing a mask. But then also when I stayed, I specifically picked a hotel that laid out their cleaning, right? Like, what are you doing? So that I knew that I was staying someplace that they are doing the things. Mm -hmm. um, so we, it, the, just an example of the kind of things that you, sometimes you have to do things during COVID that you really don't have much of, much of a choice in, but to minimize yeah. our risks while we're doing them. Yeah. Yes. yes. So yeah. is there anything that you would like to leave us with? I know we could talk like a bazillion more hours about this, <laughs> but we both have to, we both have lives to do. Um, what would you like to leave the inspired women audience with? I think what I was just talking about, uh, a little kindness and compassion can go a long way right now, can go a very long way. And especially because a lot of people are spending good chunk of their day on the internet. Yes. I had I to remove yeah. the Facebook app from my phone. <laughs> yeah. Like I, for one would much rather be the cause of somebody, of somebody smiling rather than somebody like ruining somebody's day. Um, and so I, I try very hard, especially in the Facebook group to not be, you know, the reason that somebody is really, really upset. And mm -hmm. right now, everybody's kind of on a hairpin trigger. <laughs> so, right. Uh, but on the receiving it, end of people. Yeah. So yeah. it's very easy. It's like very, very easy right now to set people off because everybody's on edge. But I think that that means right now that it's, you know, more important than ever that we try to be as understanding of each other and as kind to each other as possible. Um, and I say that as somebody that's been on the receiving end of a lot of hatred lately, a lot of vitriol, because apparently epidemiologists are not as popular as you would think. Like we're very popular, but people don't seem to like us very much right now. So, <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> be nice yes. to each other and stay off the internet. <laughs> be nice, stay off the internet and actually listen to people who it's literally, literally their entire job to study these kind of things. Like literally their entire fucking job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're not we're not trying to pull one over on you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Katie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. This was great. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.